Our scripture reading for today is found in Judges chapter 6. And if you have a Bible with you, I would encourage you to turn and read along as I read aloud from God's Word. Judges 6, beginning with verse 17. This is continuing on in the story of Gideon. And as we look at this story, this account together, we'll be probably looking at it for one or two more Sundays with a break next week. Let's hear God's word. Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it really is you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Gideon went in, prepared a young goat, And from an ephah of flour he made bread without yeast. Putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot, he brought them out and he offered them to him under the oak. The angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock, and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. With the tip of the staff that was in his hand, the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread. And the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Ah, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day it stands in Ophrah of the Abiezrites. That same night the Lord said to Gideon, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal. Cut down the Asherah pole that is beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the men of the town, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. In the morning when the men of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished, with the Asherah pole beside it cut down, the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. They asked each other, who did this? When they carefully investigated, they were told, Gideon, son of Joash, did it. The men of the town demanded of Joash, who was Gideon's father, Bring out your son, he must die, because he has broken down Baal's altar, he has cut down the Asherah pole beside it. But Joash responded to the hostile crowd around him, Are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. So that day they called Gideon Jerob Baal, saying, Let Baal contend with him, because he broke down Baal's altar. Let's pray. Dear Lord, as we look at this account of a faithful servant, In your service and in your kingdom, we ask that you would cause us to apply in our hearts and our lives the message that comes to us 
from this godly man. We pray that you would work out in our hearts and in our lives boldness and a willingness to do what you call upon us to do. Accomplish the work that you have set forth for your word to accomplish through the power of your Holy Spirit now in our hearts. Because we recognize that your word is holy and that we are dealing with the Almighty God as we look to your word to study it and understand it. I pray, Lord, that my words might be faithful to you because I am dealing with your word, which is holy. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This past week, I tried to introduce you to Gideon. As Gideon looked back on his life. And so Gideon, in the person of me, comes to you today to talk more about his life, particularly at this time of which we have just read. I guess you always think of a war hero as a decisive person. A man who makes up his mind and he carries out his plans then with dispatch. It's done. Thought and planning beforehand, then action, plain and simple. No confusion, no dilly-dallying, nothing of the sort. Doubtless, you have the war heroes of your time. I'm one of the war heroes of my time. But I'll tell you that whatever you thought about the decisiveness of mighty warriors, as the Lord, if you remember, called me in the early part of this meeting with him, whatever you thought about the decisiveness of mighty warriors didn't fit my character. I had no desire to lead. I had no desire to be thrust into the forefront of the people. I was uncertain, tentative, and to put it clearly, more like a rabbit being offered a tasty morsel by a stranger. You think of how a rabbit works. He would be tempted to take the food. But then it's a stranger who's offering it. He's not sure whether it's safe for him to venture forward or not. So he starts and he stops backward and forward. Refusing to make up his mind. It may be hard for you to believe that this is the way I was. But if you've read the story that is put down in God's word, you realize that was me. If you read the accounts of my meetings with the Lord from this time when he appeared to me forward, you'll see I'm not kidding. But think with me for a minute before you're too hard on me about the times in which we lived. This might help you to gain some perspective on the whole situation. It's easy to be decisive and bold in certain situations, isn't it? It's easy to be decisive and bold when you're used to victory and success and command in everything you set your hand to do. When you have accomplished things, you can be bold because you're used to having a record of success behind you. It's much more difficult when you've been beaten down time and time again. Defeat tends to breed hesitation and fearfulness. I'm sure you've experienced this yourself. When you're used to losing, you become fearful of everything. And that, again, characterizes the time in which I lived. Looking back at it, I'm amazed. Perhaps you're amazed as well. 
that the Lord put up with my continuing need for reassurance. After he delivered this message to me, telling me what he wanted me to do, that he wanted me to be a mighty warrior, which I certainly wasn't, I felt that he ought to be honored by my offering a sacrifice to the Lord in his presence. So I asked him, please don't leave until I've returned with an offering of food. I went to get choice goat meat and to prepare unleavened bread. And so he promised to stay until I returned and I rushed off and got it done. Now, my offering of food to this messenger from the Lord sent me actually into great fear in the opposite direction. Before, I had wanted some kind of testimony of the fact that this was really a messenger from the Lord. I had been going over it in my mind and thinking, yes, he is, no, he isn't. Wondering those sorts of things you wonder when someone comes before you and it's not exactly clear who they are. Is this person someone important? Is this person only relatively important or extremely important? When I brought back this offering to give to this man, he didn't do what I expected him to do with it. He did not sit down and eat. He said, set it over there on that rock. And then he took his staff and touched it. And the rock burst in flames and consumed everything. Gone. Now, perhaps you've had a situation like that before. (laughs) Perhaps not. (laughs) But if you can think about that situation, you will realize how it struck me. Before I had thought, well, this is an angelic messenger, a messenger from the Lord. He'll eat what I give him and maybe I'll get some sort of idea of exactly how important he is in the scale of things. But I was so amazed when the rock burst into flames and everything was consumed that it took me a moment to realize he was gone. And then, because it all happened in a flash, my mind caught up and I realized that this person who had been speaking to me was the angel of the Lord, the Lord himself. Of all the accounts of miracles done by the Lord in the past that we had thought about and that I had addressed myself in talking with this this person about, we remember, I said, those stories about miracles in the past, but there haven't been any today. Of all of the accounts of miracles done in the past, we had not experienced any in my lifetime up to this point. But we knew all the accounts as they had been passed down to our ancestors. We were aware of the parting of the Red Sea. We were aware of the manna in the desert. We were aware of the destruction of the Egyptians. All of these wonderful miracles. We also knew the accounts of the awesome power and holiness of the Lord. We were also aware of the rebellion of Korah and others. Men who rose up against God's appointed leaders, Moses and Aaron. And as a result of their rebellion... Some of them were burned up by the fire of the Lord. 250, gone in a flash. And others of them were swallowed up in the ground with their families and all their possessions. Gone. Now, 
the thing that we had learned through these accounts, although we hadn't experienced anything like this in our time, was that you do not trifle with the Lord. We knew from the account of Mount Sinai as well that the Lord had said to the people, do not go near the mountain or you will be destroyed. And we knew as well that the Lord said He spoke to Moses face to face and yet He did not let him see His full glory because anybody who sees the glory of the Lord dies. Now that's what was going through my mind. I am gone. (laughs) No time to be a mighty warrior. Folks, this is it. I was scared to death because I knew that because I had seen the Lord Himself and talked with Him in person, I was going to die. Now many people find this reaction on my part hard to believe. It's hard to process this if you haven't uh, gone through anything like it. They perhaps think it's funny that someone would be frightened by meeting the Lord face to face. But anyone who finds this hard to believe, my reaction in these circumstances either doesn't believe in God or doesn't understand the character of the God we serve. Before this happened, I think I and my people had some sort of a feeling that he had given up on us. Maybe he wasn't so powerful. Maybe he wasn't so important. Maybe he wasn't so interested. And it's easy for some, for people to come into the notion that God really isn't all that involved or that God is some sort of jolly, fun-loving, easygoing person. He isn't. He's the Almighty One, the judge of all people, the one who condemns all unbelievers to eternal damnation. Although it's a terrible experience to fear for your life in meeting the Lord, I have even more sympathy for those who laugh at the thought because they will find out that He is greatly to be feared only when it is too late to do anything about it. I know now that the Lord with whom I spoke was the Lord. That this one, that this person I was trying to sort through and figure out was the Lord in the form of a man. And I had not seen the glory of the Lord, the glory of the Lord, as opposed to the Lord in the form of a man. And so it was not going to be the death of me. But I knew enough to cry out then for mercy in my fear and despair. And I exclaimed, Ah, sovereign Lord! I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face as though to say, Woe is me! This is trouble! And truly, that's the only solution. You think about what I did in that circumstance. That is the only solution to being spared God's wrath and His judgment. Looking to Him, crying out to Him for His mercy and salvation. He answered me, with what you can expect from the Lord. He answered me with mercy and grace as He does to all who truly look to Him and rely upon the Lord for His saving power, saying, Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. (laughs) You think about the frame of mind that that put me in. It was completely different. This is the most wonderful experience that any person can ever have to know the peace of the Lord. If you've ever experienced troubled relationships, 
You know the cost of war, bickering, arguing, and fighting. And if this exists in your family or in your close relationships, where your relationships are supposed to be particularly close and dear and special and loving, this lack of peace, you know, is extremely costly. <coughs> there is tension. There is turmoil. <coughs> you can never devote yourself to what is important. You can never work together with others because things are not right. There is no forgiveness. Grudges rule the day. And each person is trying to win every fight using every opportunity to put the other down and to lift themselves up. <clears throat> when you lack peace in your relationship with God, your whole life suffers. But if you've never cried out to the Lord for His mercy, this state of war with Him just seems natural. And you don't realize that you're in a state of war. That there is no peace with the Creator of the universe, the Creator of you and of me. You don't know that blessed state of peace that we can have with the Lord of the universe. <clears throat> when you are resting upon Him for mercy and salvation from destruction as I was, and eternal death you know joy beyond measure because you are at peace with the One who rules the universe. You are at peace with the One who made you. You are at peace with the One who controls all things and the destinies of all people. When the Lord gave me his answer to cry in my cry for his help, saying, Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. It meant more than just temporary relief. It meant my being at peace with the one who made me. I rejoiced, and in my thankfulness to him, I built an altar of the stones at hand. Right there. And if you've read the story, you realize that I named it for the Lord's peace. <clears throat> now, when you accept things the way the Lord sees them, then your life changes. When you start to see things from His perspective, as I was doing from that moment forward, you can no longer going around, go, go around as though nothing has changed. Because the biggest change in life, the most amazing possible change has occurred in your very own home, in your very own heart. It's not an external change. It's all a change of the heart which affects the way in which you look out and view the whole world. <clears throat> Instead of looking at things and thinking about how you did things before, and thinking about things as they were before, now you have the Lord working within you. So everything looks different. You must see everything differently. Life in service to the Lord, however, would be easy if all you had to do was say, Oh yeah, I see that. I see that. Oh, isn't that interesting? As though someone were pointing something out to you from outside the window. Do you see that squirrel out there? Oh yes, I see that. Do you see that tree and the branch that fell? Oh yes, I see that. But this isn't the way it is. If you truly have turned your allegiance over to the Lord, then you must respond differently because you see differently. I got my first chance to do that later that night. The Lord didn't waste any time giving me my first test. And this was not an easy test. 
Looking back in hindsight, it seems easy enough. Well, maybe not easy enough. But when you look back on something in which you have obeyed the Lord, you realize in retrospect that there was no alternative. That it was worth it to be obedient, even though the test was a terrible, extremely difficult, troublesome test. My test was like every test that the Lord gives His people, related to the sins and temptations of my time, my community, getting closer, my family, and myself. There would have been no test if the Lord had said to me, Now, Gideon, I want you to go out and I want you to give some of that grain you have been threshing there in the wine press to the poor. Oh, certainly, Lord! I will do that. As a matter of fact, I threshed some more back there a couple weeks ago, and I'll take it too. That's easy enough. As a matter of fact, if that had been the test, no one would have questioned my doing that. I might have even gained notoriety and praise from the public. Oh, look at Gideon, what he's doing. Isn't it good? We should all do more of that. Benevolence and all those sorts of good things. But what the Lord asked me to do was different. He asked me to confront the sin of myself, my family, my people, my day. What kind of a test is it if you don't have to risk anything? By very nature of the word test, it isn't a test if there's no risk involved. The greater the test the greater the risk. You'll see what I risk as I tell you how this turned out. What the Lord told me to do was to go out and tear down the altar that had been built to Baal, cut down the Asherah pole of wood that was beside it, take my father's, one of the good bulls of the herd, you understand, Take it to that place where all these things were torn down in a state of disrepair as a result of my demolition. Build another altar to the Lord of undressed stones of the proper height as the Lord commanded. Sacrifice my father's one of the best bulls of the herd, you understand. (laughs) Using the Asherah pole as firewood. (laughs) Well... If, you know, maybe you don't know anything about altars and sacrifices and offerings in your day and age. But in my day and age, altars were sacred things. You didn't mess with them. You just didn't. Unless you wanted to be in big trouble. And among all of this, I was being asked to do this. <laughs> At great risk. Whose bull was it? Whose bull was it? My father's. Yeah, it was my father's bull. Whose altar to Baal was it? Again, same answer. The Asherah pole. Who used it? My father, my family, my community, everyone that was important to me. You think about that. How many times have you had to risk the dishonor of your family? Have you ever had to risk the dishonor of your family? Have you ever needed to risk the outright hatred of your community and your family in order to worship and honor the Lord of the universe? A choice. On one side, honor for the Lord. On the other side, 
the hatred of your family and of your community. Now, if you think about the Lord and what He asks of people, you come to the conclusion that the Lord <clears throat> demands His people at all times to devote themselves, husbands to wives, wives to husbands, parents to children, children to parents throughout life. Right? That's what we are given to us as God's Word, going way back to that command that the Lord gave to Moses. Honor your parents. Honor your parents. And so there I was in this predicament. The Lord said, in essence, you must do something which dishonors your father. And of course, when the Lord tells you that, you realize that there is a priority in life. There is an ordering of all things. And even those things that you have come throughout life to consider as sacrosanct, as sacred, as set apart, as holy, your relationship with your father, for instance, your relationship with your family, when the Lord calls and says, you must do something which is going to make this man angry. You must do something which may cause you to be disinherited and hated by your family. You really don't have a choice. You can say you have a choice, but your choice is obedience or disobedience. Your choice is the highest priority versus another priority. So you must think about that throughout life. <clears throat> That's what I had to think of. Such decisions, as you know, are intensely difficult, agonizing. Because you know that there is only one right choice, only one way to honor the Lord. And it means doing something that in any other circumstances would be completely wrong. I don't mean that tearing down those, the altar and the Asherah pole were completely wrong. I just mean that what this would involve as far as my father's esteem was concerned would have been completely wrong. I always sought to honor my father and mother, just as I have always been taught and taught my sons to love and honor their parents and their wives. And there was no way of convincing my father or of convincing him after the fact that what I had already done, there was no way that I was going to be able to convince him that my choice was right and righteous. It was just what the Lord commanded. Now, if you know anything about the story, you'll realize that the Lord blessed me in the outcome. <clears throat> but through the agony of this action and decision, I have developed a great compassion for those who do the Lord's will, honoring Him when what He wants goes against what their wives, their husbands, their parents, their children, their family members, and their closest friends want. That's what I went through. And my compassion is even greater for those who do the Lord's will and find out, unlike what I found out as I went through this, find out when they're through that their obedience has brought their worst fears into reality. Their wives, their husbands, their parents, their children, their closest friends, their grandparents are not given the vision from the Lord to see it His way. And because they don't see it the Lord's way, there is an impassable gulf that develops between these people who have passed the Lord's test of obedience and their family members who have gotten stuck and not seen it the Lord's way. They lack unity in their families because one of them has chosen the Lord's way, while others have chosen their own personal ways. 
and cannot and will not see the one is right, having chosen to obey God rather than man. However, I say with you, if you too honor and serve the Lord, this, I would rather serve the Lord and have all men against me than serve men amidst universal acclaim with the Lord as my enemy. Again, as I got ready to carry out the Lord's wish, reading the account, you realize I was again bashful. My knees knocked. I was afraid. And as a result of my fear in this situation, well, what would you do? The Lord said, okay, here's an act you need to do. And you know it's trouble. You know it's trouble. I figured out the, the smallest modification, well, it really wasn't a modification, because the Lord didn't tell me when I had to do it. So my little addition to the plan was, Lord says, do this. I said, all right, I'll do it at night. Pitch black, no moon. Well, there may have been a little bit of a moon that night. You can't tell. It doesn't say, but um, I know what there was. We wanted to do it when it was as dark as possible and as late as possible so that everybody would be home in bed and they'd all wake up in the morning and they'd say, Oh, what has happened? They're gone. Look at this here. This is, this is wrong. This is terrible. And we would be back at home in our beds. Who, me? Me do that? Oh, not me. Well, so I was a little bashful. But this whole action meant more than just going against the community and my family and friends. What it meant, what it meant to the Lord, and I see it, and I'm sure you can see it as well, is it meant removing the foreign false evil gods from among us, which had to be done because God detests false gods. God detests anything that takes His place. In your community and in your time, I'm there. I'm sure that there are foreign gods, just like we had Baal and Asherah. I don't know what they may be, but the results of Baal and Asherah worship in our time caused people to indulge in, for instance, great sexual promiscuity and license. People felt free to do as they pleased, as long as they absolved themselves by making an offering on the altar to Baal and before the Asherah pole. There was no question of living according to a rigid code or standard coming from the creator of universe in my time. And all of this false worship caused people to turn completely away from the Lord so they had no desire to pay attention to Him whatsoever. They wouldn't worship Him. They wouldn't do what He said because their attention was focused on false gods. In essence, we couldn't even hear Him because our attention was over there and He was coming from over there. You think about it, you can identify the false gods of your age. Just look at those things. Now, they might be people. They might be things that in the, in the scheme of things have value, like family. They might be anything else. Those things which cause people in your day to ignore the Lord and do as they please, making their gods mirror their own lusts and their own selfish desires. Be sure that if the Lord is going to do a mighty work among you, He will begin where He began among us, which is this. The false gods have got to go. The false gods have got to go. He will first cause some bold ones, or maybe only slightly bold ones like I was, 
to get rid of the false gods so that people can begin to see him more clearly as he reveals himself. That is called getting rid of evil, obeying his command, that we have nothing that we put before him. Our allegiance, our honor, our love, and our devotion to him. And as I mentioned before, the Lord was gracious to me. If you've read it in the Bible, you realize that the townspeople came out in a fury. They examined the situation. They looked around. They talked to whatever witnesses they might be able to find. And they found out I was the one who did it. And so they came to my father's house and said, The man must die. Bring your son out. We, it's time to execute him. Now this is the point at which the Lord was gracious to me. And if he hadn't been gracious to me at this point, you know for sure I would never have been, I would never have lived to be a mighty warrior. My father said, Hold it a minute there, folks. What did he do? He tore, tore down the altar to Baal. He cut down the Asherah pole and he desecrated these shrines, these holy places. And my father said, Who did you say? Did he hurt in doing this? Baal? Asherah? Aren't they gods? Aren't they stronger than men? Well, Yes, now come to think of it, yes. Well, if that's the case, and my son did that, why are you sticking up for uh, Baal and Asherah? I thought you worshipped them. I thought they were the ones who you counted on to stick up for you. And yet, when their feelings get hurt because their altars have been desecrated, you're stick- you feel you have to st- you feel you have to kill my son. <laughs> I'm in the back room. <laughs> This was going to be a tough one. And God brought my father. Now, I don't know at that point why my father did this. It may have just been because he loved me as a son. Nevertheless, he put forward a test and he said to the people, Okay, he did this against Baal, he did it against Asher. Why don't you let them stick up for themselves? Sound like a good plan? If they really are gods, then they'll strike my son dead. And I thought to myself, well, I have met the Lord, and I can be confident in that. And the townspeople thought to themselves, well, yeah, we, we, we say we honor and worship the Lord. That, that sounds like a good deal. We'll, 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 we'll wait. We'll wait. We'll, we'll stand around the house for a little while and watch the lightning bolt as it comes. Well, whatever they were doing to wait, they waited a long time, and they waited even longer. And <laughs> I guess they went home for lunch. <laughs> Because nothing did happen to me. Many a man and woman has been struck down by divine power for honoring, for dishonoring the Lord God Almighty. None, and I can say this from my testimony, none have yet been struck down by false gods for scorning and destroying them. I call your attention to this fact so that you may be bold in dealing with the sins and the false gods of your age. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we ask that you would cause us to apply through your power the message from your word. Your word is indeed lovely. Your graciousness to your people such as Gideon is wonderful. A magnificent testimony to us. Give us strength and boldness in everything we do that we might be willing to risk the enmity of friends and family who are dearest to us 
if your obedience requires it. That we might get rid of the false gods in our midst in order to focus our attention, obedience, honor, love, and devotion upon you. In Jesus' name, amen.